My name is Phil Corbett from the podcast Van Sounds, and this is a podcast for Travel Nevada. This is the second part of a two-part series, Traveling the Burner Byway, a road trip from Reno to the Black Rock Desert and beyond. So buckle in, let's take a ride. On the last episode, we started in Reno and drove to Pyramid Lake. And heading north from Pyramid Lake, you'll traverse a striking landscape of dry lake beds, jutting mountain ranges, and otherworldly rock formations. Otherworldly might actually be the wrong phrase, because I guess they're the exact opposite. They are very specifically of this world just from an ancient time when all of this was underwater. The ebb and flow of the elements and the constant change has shaped this place pretty dramatically. The wind, the sun, the water, and the lack of it. It's hard to believe that anything is permanent in a place like this. We make our way across the train tracks and just through the town of Gerlach, and we park on a dirt road and start walking. With us is Stacy Wittick. Uh, I'm Stacy Wittick, and I'm the executive director of Friends of Black Rock High Rock. So we are just a mile, less than a mile, out of uh, Gerlach, and uh, we are on a section of road that uh, that uh, navigates around the playa, and it is the birthplace and art site for Dwayne Williams, uh, Doobie Lanes. Uh, um, outside art piece. So this place has a few names. It's an outdoor art piece called Guru Road or Doobie Lane. Doobie Lane, Dwayne Williams, Guru Road. Uh, the guru in that conversation is Dwayne Williams, who did uh, this art piece between uh, 78 and uh, 1992. Um, he's a, um, uh, a veteran uh, who was a former Marine. Um, he contracted cancer and one of his ways to blow off steam and to uh, participate and celebrate the town was to come out here and do this mile-long monument and testament full of quirky little aphorisms and tributes to town members. Yeah. And so can you just describe what what those aphorisms look like? Well, so when when, uh, Dwayne Williams first started, he was doing this all like literally kind of cuneiform style, chiseling out each piece um, or each rock with aphorisms, which I think is kind of interesting too because one of his main attributes is he would never say anything, anything mean about anybody. So they're funny and they're quirky and they border on snark sometimes, but they're never cruel and they're never mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would do these uh, by tapping out the letters in this kind of almost sans serif style that's really lovely. Um, and what's interesting about it is that you can see the evolution of the work because uh, when he started out, he had to hand chip it and then his wrists were really suffering. So a friend of his, Dan, bought uh, bought an electric chisel for him and then he was able to do it a little more efficiently, <laughs> but it lacks that kind of um, handcraft a little bit, you know? Sure. And then, but they're deep. If you go close to them, you can see they're actually pretty well embedded. They're quarter inch embedded to get that. And that's what the ones that last the longest are the ones that have that deep penetration. 
We are the ones that people have, because it's a living, breathing thing. People are adding on to it all the time, for better or worse. Um, they're adding on to it. Um, and when people come and do it, you can cut, you definitely tell the difference because it doesn't have that same kind of quirky sense of humor that Dwayne Williams has. And it often lacks that permanence that he has in those on the, in the, the engravings, too. Along this mile of dirt road, there are at least hundreds, possibly thousands of these pieces. And they're pretty simple. Every single one of them is a hefty rock with a phrase chiseled into the front, and the phrase is always painted white. When uh, uh, Dwayne Williams saw the carvings made by emigrant travelers through High Rock Canyon, that was in part his inspiration for doing Guru Road. Guru Road overlooks the Black Rock Desert Playa, which is a massive dry lake bed. In the 1800s, emigrants from the eastern U.S. traveled across this landscape and faced some pretty serious hardship. You can still see some traces of them, like the carvings and drawings they made on the north side of the playa, but most of what they left behind was reclaimed by the desert. And that's happening here, too. Well, this is where a rain cell probably rained very hard for, I don't know, 30 minutes or so. And it literally washed the mountainside away and it all came down and buried the rocks. So it's a pretty broad area. It's actually impassable unless you've got a high clearance 4x4. At points, you can see carvings on Guru Road that are halfway buried. And there's really no telling how many were buried years and years ago. How many phrases are somewhere deep in the earth? So it's kind of... Uh, kind of half commemoration uh, memorial and half biography. So let your mind heal the body, believe. Who keeps Gerlach smart? Dave Green, that's who. Seek not fame, let it find you, guru. Want directions? Ask Bill Stapleton. <laughs> Have your fireproof suit handy at all times. <laughs> Miss beautiful Gabriella Martinelli. Martinelli. And then you see the, uh, the uh, comment box that he left for people to kind of share <laughs> their responses to the site. I think sometimes people come up here and they drive it and think, well, this is wacky. This was a wacky guy. <laughs> but I think also that um, it is a very human gesture to want to leave something behind. It seems like this is a place where it's really hard to leave a mark in. You know, it's somewhere that's constantly renewing and like you said like dirt is literally burying a mm -hmm. lot of this mm -hmm. like earth is taking it back I mean do you think this is sort of like a emotion to kind of you know defy that constant change to sort of try to make a mark somewhere that you know doesn't allow that I think it's very possible I think uh, uh, but at the same time that I get this feeling from Dwayne Williams that he was kind of comfortable with that ephemerality. Now I'm reading a lot into this, but the but he was he did have cancer, and I feel like somehow that maybe that was a way of sort of thinking about and conquering his own destiny for that. But one of the things that I love about it that maybe people would disregard because these things are not um, they uh, are not haikus exactly. They're very homespun. Is that I think that humility and humbleness is part of its appeal. The simpleness of <laughs> documenting, yeah. you know, who the pretty ladies are in town. Yeah. 
there isn't a lot of green in this place. At least for somebody from a place where the default color is green. It's more subtle and hard to see with an untrained eye like mine. But one place directly west over the granite range is a small green oasis in a sea of sagebrush. I'm John Bogard. I'm Rachel Bogard. You're visiting Planet X Pottery. Can you kind of describe what it looks like out here to somebody who's, you know, never been, been here before? Well, it's exceptionally green this year <laughs> because of the rain, yes. And the, the, name? the name Planet X was given to me by a friend who showed up here and said, it looks like you're living on Planet X. So we stuck with that name. But, and, you know, most of the pottery has been inspired by the grand vistas that are 360 degrees. You get to see everywhere. Dang, can you describe kind of the, that, some of that vista that you can see from here? Yeah, it's basically your basin and range. You got long dry lakes with uh, mountains at the end and the edges. Snow covered sometimes, so. Incredible clouds. When it's stormy weather, it's just fabulous. It's absolutely beautiful. John and Rachel's place is shaded by big trees. They lead us across the yard to a small building. So this is Gallery X. The original pottery that uh, put me on the map through Nevada Magazine was the uh, what I call desertware, which depicts the environment that we live in, it's clouds and mountains and yeah. stuff. And it comes in various forms. and. Gotcha. Style. So, let's head over there. It's a it's a scene on the porcelain of the desert landscape around here. Well, I mean, it's it kind of fits. I think it fits so well because there's kind of a limited palette, you know, in northern Nevada. Yeah, I don't <clears throat> don't think so. It's yeah. all there. <laughs> all the colors around. I've seen it. I've seen it. We walk through four galleries. Each of them is organized roughly by color of the pottery. We head further into the back on a sidewalk made of railroad ties and end up in a large white building that's a gallery for John's paintings. Perfect when you said that it was sort of, um, you sort of mentioned it as a monotone. Yeah. And what John sees is all the color that actually, actually is out there. And the paintings bring that to the forefront so that people can actually see for themselves how much intensity of color there is in what, when you just were driving by, you would, might have thought was monotone. Yeah. And instead, it's vibrant colors. Yeah, a lot of people drive across Nevada and always say, well, it's just brown, you know, but it's not just brown. Can you kind of, can you describe some of the colors well, there's plenty of blue because the blue will get you in the background. And I used a, a cobalt blue, thalo blue, ultramarine blue, different varieties. You know, some are warmer, some are cooler. You know, the sky colors are just all over the place. You know, you got yeah. raw siennas and cadmium oranges and manganese and just everything's up in there. 
Yeah, it's really interesting standing right here seeing, you know, a painting of the landscape that looks pretty similar to the <laughs> landscape. Out the window, right, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like these mountains right here, the buffaloes, they're... They come, they come in all colors later. Right now, the thing's got a lot of green on it, and it's like, oh, never quite painted it with green on it. And I take a look at that. It's usually just that red basalt that's like, you know. It's hard to paint the red if you put the red on the mountains. Red is something that brings a painting forward, so and then you're sticking it way back there. you got to, like, do something with it to keep it out there. But, the color and beauty in the desert is all there. You just have to look a little bit, and it's not that hard to find. Something similar to this, I really like it. And, and those stickers and the dragonfly, please. In addition to pottery and paintings, Planet X has also turned the original homestead on their property into a vacation rental. You can find them online, or if you'd like to buy a piece, I recommend stopping by. We head back into Gerlach and duck into Bruno's Country Club. Joining us is Margie Reynolds from the Friends of Black Rock High Rock. She calls over Dave Cooper and we get pecans and Bruno's famous ravioli. Then we plan out a small trip into the Black Rock Desert. Gerlach is the gateway and final stop to get gas, food, and water before heading into the huge area that is the Black Rock Desert. I think what most people don't understand is the scale, like the physical size of this place. Yeah, it's quite large. And this, uh, you know, this vast remote area, the protected NCA and wilderness is 1.2 million acres, which is about the size of the state of Delaware. Um, in the 10 wilderness areas, there's 752,000 acres. That's uh that's a lot of territory right there. Um, the NCA itself is 800,000 acres. Um, so you can travel uh, quite distant, long distances out here. And uh, again, it's remote. Yep, huge and remote. Great place to uh, come and enjoy the landscape and solitude and create your own adventure. And uh, a good place for self-discovery. We take two cars and head up the highway west of the playa. We park at an overlook that sits above the entire dry lake bed. I'm Dave Cooper, and I'm the retired BLM manager for the Black Rock Desert High Rock Canyon Emigrant Trails National Conservation Area. Um, I retired in 2009. I live in Gerlach, so I live in the Black Rock Desert. It's just a place that I love, and it's dear to my heart. And uh, I've been exploring this area for 18 years, and I have a lot more places to go go look at and, and explore. It's just never ending. It's, uh, you can spend a lifetime just exploring all these mountains. The BLM, or Bureau of Land Management, is the federal agency in charge of public land. And about 80% of land in Nevada is public. I, I've talked to people from Germany and Israel and that have been out here, and uh, it's hard to explain sometimes the, the concept of public lands, that this belongs to everybody. And, but they're usually just, uh, uh, it's kind of mind-blowing when you realize how vast this area is. From this overlook site that we're standing on, we can see about 
eight or nine different mountain ranges. Um, Nevada has more mountain ranges than any other state. <clears throat> well, you might off-roaders and, uh, you know, backpackers and environmentalists, and they all have kind of one thing in common. They like to come out here for the solitude. And it, it truly is a place where you can come and, and be alone and, and just enjoy, enjoy the wide open spaces in the mountains. There are 10 wilderness areas here that are true wilderness areas. You can go hiking in them right now and not see another soul. You could be in there for weeks and never see another person and, and, uh, and trek through it. Something that comes with that remoteness is an unrivaled lack of light pollution. Just north of the Black Rock Desert, a place called Massacre Rim was recently designated a dark sky sanctuary, meaning it is one of the best places in the country to see the stars. And pretty much anywhere you go in this corner of the state, the night skies are awesome. The dark skies here are just incredible. There is almost no light pollution whatsoever here. Uh, so the, the stargazing and astronomy is just excellent from the Black Rock Playa. But you can see the Milky Way. You can see by starlight out here. If there's, even when there's no moon, you can still see by starlight. It's, it's, uh, you know, that's something that not a lot of people uh, experience. Before light pollution was a problem, Emigrants coming from the eastern U.S. passed through this harsh landscape on their way to California and Oregon. Looking across the playa, Dave points to where the California Trail skirted the lake bed. So it's seen uh, back in the 1840s, 1850s, up to 1867. It was a very active, very active trail um, with uh, a lot of hardship, life and death and uh, um, you know, it's, these, those people had to have a, a lot of hard bark <laughs> to uh, to trek for months on end to uh, to get to a new place so they could start a new life. Sydney asks if they left many artifacts on the playa. No, the desert uh, has pretty much reclaimed uh, uh, any of the artifacts that are along the immigrant trail. The uh, even the bones of you know probably hundreds of oxen and horses that died. Um, you don't even find the, uh, the bones of those. There's graves of some of the people that didn't make it. Uh, we're looking at the Black Rock where there's a, a hot spring there and that was a, a main campground or, or camp site uh, where, where immigrants stayed because it was water and there was good grazing grass and so forth. People have struggled in this place for a long time. And I think that difficulty is also part of what makes it so magnetic. It's big and it's unforgiving, and it's unlike anything you've ever experienced before. Do you remember the first time you came here? <laughs> yeah, one of the uh, yeah, the first time they brought me out here as a manager for the the Black Rock was. Uh, we drove out on the playa, and uh, I, you know, my first thought was, oh, it's just a bunch of dirt, you know, it's, what could possibly be so unique about it? So we're driving, we're driving, and we're driving, and we're driving, and you just keep driving, and it's like 30 miles long, and you put the accelerator down, and you get up to 80 or 100 miles an hour, and just kind of kick back, and, <laughs> you know, and there's two or three vehicles running alongside of you, and it's just... Uh, it's like you don't, it, it was uh, just flat and smooth and just, uh, I went, wow, that's, you know, freedom. Our final stop on this trip is about 20 minutes north, 
My name is Margie Reynolds, and I'm um, with the Friends of Black Rock High Rock, and we're standing in beautiful Wallapai Valley, Nevada. Well, from here, it's a pretty panoramic view with big, giant clouds that look like they're ready to explode and beautiful blue skies behind that. So, yes, Fly Ranch is 3,800 acres that is a narrow strip that runs up through this valley, and Burning Man purchased the ranch a couple of years ago. And so on the ranch are the ranch house, and then there are three geysers. So Fly Geyser is one of the three. Fly Geyser is an accidentally man-made geyser that's honestly hard to describe. Just absolutely every color of the rainbow with water spewing out the top. There's several terraces, and there's pools, um, soaking pools, and a lot of wetlands in the area. Well... It was on private property, and Burning Man bought it, and they wanted to figure out a way to make it accessible to the public. So they partnered with the Friends of Black Rock High Rock, and we are now facilitating walking tours of the ranch property. So if you're interested in taking a, a, walking, a nature walk through the property, then contact the Friends of Black Rock. We stand on the edge of the valley, and the silence is striking. Antelope graze up in the mountains, and giant thunderheads are starting to form. Like, what is it about this place that, you know, makes you want to own a house here? Like, why, why here? It's really hard to describe. You have to see it. It's the gigantic, endless skies. It's the massive cloud patterns. It's the changing ecology, whether it's winter or summer. It's the blasting wind. It's the heat. It's the cold. It's just a land of extremes, and it's, it's a fun place to be. This part of Nevada is big. It's harsh, it's beautiful, and it's challenging. And this stark landscape, most of all, is inspiring. There's something about this place that has not only raised one of the world's most famous art gatherings, but has inspired human expression for thousands of years. There's a freedom in this desert that is hard to describe. And best of all, it's always here, open and waiting. This podcast was produced by me, Phil Corbett, for Travel Nevada. This episode was all about the Burner Byway, which stretches across the northwestern part of the state. To learn more details about all the stops along this route and other Nevada road trips, check out TravelNevada.com. The intro song was Everything in the Desert Wants to Kill You by Reno band Rob Ford Explorer and the outro is by People With Bodies. You can find my other work at vansounds.org or search Vansounds where you're listening now. And that'll do it. Thanks for tuning in 